Ephesians 5 is where we'll open up. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 32. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 32. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1162. Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. The heading in the ESV Bible is Wives and Husbands. That's probably what I should have just entitled the sermon, but I didn't want to, I wanted to be a little creative, I guess. I don't know. I didn't want to take just the heading in the Bible, but that's what this is about, Wives and Husbands. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Hear then the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word." So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Dear congregation, perhaps the most familiar part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is near the end, in chapter 6, where Paul tells believers that they are a people who are locked in a cosmic struggle with the powers of darkness. And because of this, They need to be people who put on the full armor of God in order that they might take their stand against the devil and his schemes. I I would submit that that, that's probably the most well-known part of Ephesians, that part about the armor of God. But it probably ought not be lost on us that immediately before Paul gets into that section and that teaching, he instructs us on how to live in the home. That's what Paul is doing in Ephesians 5, through chapter 6, verse 9. He's addressing relationships within the home. In chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, that 
what we're looking at this morning, Paul's addressing the marriage relationship. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he addresses the parent-child relationship. And then in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, he addresses the slave and master relationship, which in his day was a relationship that worked itself out primarily in the home. Now we take those words about slave and master and we, we apply them to the workplace and that's all well and good and appropriate and we'll deal with that when we get there. But, but, but for now, let's just recognize that before, before Paul tells us to, to put on the full armor of God so that we might take our stand against the devil and the schemes, he instructs us on how to live in the home. Now let me ask, do you think it's a coincidence that immediately before Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God because we're locked in a cosmic struggle, he tells us how to serve Christ in the home. Do you think that's a coincidence? Because I, I do not. I don't think there are any coincidences in Holy Scripture. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, and even the organization and arrangement of thoughts are meant to serve us unto salvation in Jesus Christ. And when we look at the placement of these household instructions in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's almost as if he's saying that the home is where this struggle is most real and most intense and most evident. And that certainly makes sense when it comes to something like marriage, doesn't it? It almost feels cliche. In fact, it, no, not almost. It does feel cliche for me to say marriage is under attack in our culture today. It most certainly is under attack in our culture today. You don't need me to prove that point. You can see that in the failed marriages of your friends and of your loved ones. You can see that perhaps in the tension that exists even in your own marriage. And so it is good. It is good for God's people to remind it, I would say not, not even occasionally, but it's good for God's people to be reminded regularly about what God's will for a Christ-exalting marriage is. And that is what our text is about. In our text, Paul sets forth God's instructions for the marriage relationship. And he does so in a very systematic way, doesn't he? He speaks first to the wife, and he instructs her on how she is to relate to her husband. And then he speaks second to the husband, and he instructs the husband on how he is to relate to his wife. Now, I hate to disappoint you, but there's too much contained in each of these sections for me to do them both this morning. And so this sermon is going to consist of a part one, which speaks to the wives, that's this morning, and a part two, which speaks to the husbands, and that's actually going to be in two weeks because next week Reverend Clompine's going to be here. So uh, this is going to be a two-part two series, all right? God's Instructions for a Christ-Exalting Marriage, part one, we could, we could call this one. And this one is, is, is well, it, it's concerned with the wife, but husbands, you'd be foolish to not listen in and think you don't have a part to play this morning. So, so wives, Paul is speaking to you here, and let's notice first the instruction he gives you. Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
Now, the word translated submit is a military word. That's probably not a coincidence, right? This is where the struggle is most real. The word, the word translated submit is a military word to describe soldiers who would line up behind a general. All right, and that is what Paul is telling wives to do to their husbands. They are to line up behind their husband. They are to come under the authority of their husband. They are to acknowledge that their husband is something of the general or the captain of the relationship. <clears throat> now, wives, notice, notice what else Paul says. He says you're to submit to your own husband. You're not to submit to someone else's husband. This isn't, a, this isn't a call for, for every woman to submit to every man, not at all. It's a call for wives to submit to their own husbands. This is why when engaged couples sit in my office for pre-marriage counseling, I play a little game called, Should You Get Married? And we read through various passages of scripture to help answer that question, whether or not they should get married. The first passage that I have the wife-to-be read through is this one, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. I make her read these words out loud, and when she's done reading these words, I look at her and I ask her, right, okay, is this a man you can submit to? Is this a man you're willing to line up behind and acknowledge as the captain and general of your home? Is it? Because guess what? No one is forcing you to marry him. If they are, tell me and we'll deal with that. But no one is forcing you to marry this guy. There's not a commandment that says thou shalt marry this guy. All right? And if this isn't a man you can submit to, run. <laughs> run now. Okay, God's will for marriage, it's, it's not a secret. It's not as if you get married and God is like, surprise, now you must submit. No, this, is, this women, is what you sign up for when you get married. And so you do well to consider whether the man you're marrying is a man you can submit to. You do well to consider whether this man fits the description of the godly husband that Paul sets forth in the following verses. Now, as you know, this, this isn't a popular instruction in our day, right? The women's liberation movement scoffs at this. Many in our culture scoff at this. I remember doing a wedding for my cousin one time. I vowed that day to never do a wedding for a relative again. So if you're my relative, don't ask me. You need somebody who can be harder on you than me. Uh, I was doing a wedding for my cousin and uh, I, I read these verses, and his wife, who he was marrying, she rolled her eyes. I'll never forget that. I was so distraught, so distressed. But that's the attitude that many women have to this instruction. They roll their eyes. Now, why do women roll their eyes? Well, one reason, of course, is sin. The sin in our hearts causes us to scoff at instructions like this. And so this morning... Wives, if you, if you are put off by this instruction, if you are annoyed by this instruction, I think you should recognize that the problem is probably not with the instruction. The problem is probably with you. The problem is probably in your heart. And your attitude towards this instruction is something that you need to repent of, okay? This is God's word. A second reason, however, and I think we should acknowledge this, 
A second reason that, that we may have trouble with this instruction is because, frankly, we, we don't understand it. We may think that this means that a wife, she can't have her own opinion, or maybe that she can't disagree with her husband, she can't take her own initiative in any way, shape, or form. But we always need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And one passage that will help us think rightly about this matter of a wife's submission is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Right? 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. In that passage, too, the wife is called to submit to her husband. And yet if you read that passage, you'll notice something interesting. The husband in that instance is an unbeliever. Right? And so clearly then, being submissive doesn't mean you agree with your husband on everything. Because the woman addressed in 1 Peter 3 are called to be submissive to an unbelieving husband. That means they don't agree with their husband on maybe the most fundamental matter there is, the matter of, the matter of faith. And yet even still, she can, she, can, she can submit to her husband. That's what Peter calls her to do there. There's more we can say about submission from 1 Peter 3, uh, and it's that the woman there who is called to be submissive to her husband is also called to influence her husband. She's called to win her husband to God by her conduct. And so there in 1 Peter 3, we see that, that, that being submissive doesn't mean you have to agree with your husband on everything. And we see that being submissive doesn't even mean you can't exercise some sort of power and influence over your husband uh, in a godly way. In a godly way. No, even the submissive wife seeks to influence her husband for the glory of God. More than that, when we read these words, we must consider the one who the wife is being called to be submissive to. Because the one whom the wife is called to be submissive to here is also, in some sense, called to be submissive to her. There is, there is a mutual submission that takes place in the marriage relationship. That's the point of verse 21. Okay, we looked at that last week. We didn't read it this morning. But verse 21 calls believers to exercise a mutual submission in their relationship with each other. Now, that doesn't negate roles in the marriage relationship. It doesn't negate authority structures in society. That mutual submission is to be exercised within those authority structures. But nevertheless, the wife is being called to, some, called to submit to someone who is in some sense called also to submit to her, right? And as we'll see next week, or next time, the husband is not to exercise his headship in a selfish way. He's to exercise his headship in a selfless and loving way that is concerned with the well-being of his wife over the well-being of himself, right? And so, so we, we need to think, think rightly about this. Wives here aren't being told to, to sit down and be quiet while their husbands lead the way and do everything. That's not what's being said. A submissive wife can tell her husband he's wrong sometimes. And she needs to tell her husband he's wrong sometimes. A submissive wife must encourage her husband to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord sometimes. He needs her to encourage him to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord sometimes. Where would us husbands be if our wives didn't encourage us to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord sometimes, right? 
So we, we need to think rightly and biblically about a wife's submission. Perhaps uh, it would help to simply look down at what Paul says in verse 33. There he, he sums up the instruction for husbands and wives, and he says to the husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And then he says to the wife, wives, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There he does not use the word submit, he, he uses the word respect, but I think that helps us understand what submission looks like ultimately. It's fundamentally a respect for your husband and for the authority which God has entrusted to him in the marriage relationship. Well, let's notice second, that was the instruction. Let's notice second, the grounds for the instruction. And now we're answering the question, why must a wife submit to her husband and not the other way around? What is the reason for this? What does the husband have that the wife doesn't that gives the husband privilege of place, as it were, in the marriage relationship? Well, the answer is God-given God-established authority. We see this in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now let's just, I need you to notice for a second what Paul begins doing here in verse 23. He begins wrapping the relationship between husband and wife with the relationship between Christ and the church. Paul begins doing that here in verse 23, and he's going to continue wrapping these two relationships, the relationship of husband and wife and the relationship of Christ and his church. He's gonna continue wrapping these two relationships together down to verse 32, and to the point where he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And if you read through the text, you're gonna get to that point, and you're gonna say, what are you talking about, Paul? I thought you've been talking about the relationship between husband and wife, and now you tell us you're talking about the relationship between Christ and his church. So what are you talking about? And the answer, as we'll see, is, is, is it's really both. The relationship of husband and wife is intimately connected to, intimately bound up with the relationship between Christ and his church. One reflects the other, and back and forth it goes. And we'll talk more about that next time. But it begins here in verse 23. And let's just notice what Paul says at the beginning of verse 23. He says, the husband is the head of the wife. All right, this is the simple reason a wife is to submit to her husband. This is the simple reason that a wife is to line up behind her husband as a soldier lines up behind a general and not demand it to work the other way around. Because God has, in his word, made the husband the head of the marriage relationship. God has given to the husband authority in the marriage relationship. In his word, God has said, the husband is the head of the wife. This means the husband has the authority and has the responsibility in the relationship. And let's not forget, this is just a microcosm or one example of the way God has ordered his world. In this world, God has established authority structures which are meant to help things run decently and in good order. Romans 13.1 tells us the authorities that exist have been established by God. 
right? The authorities that exist have been established by God. And so in society, there are kings and there are presidents and there are governors. In the church, there are, there are elders. In the home, there are parents. And in the marriage relationship, there are husbands. This is the way God has ordered his world. He's put authorities in place and he's done it for our good. He's done it because without this authority structure, there would be chaos. And this is the reason the wife is to submit to her husband. Because the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the God-established authority in the relationship. So understand this, wives. It is not because the husband is smarter. It is not because the husband is holier. It is not because the husband is better in any way. It's simply the way God has designed it. Interestingly enough, and this is a bit of a lighthearted comment, I wouldn't put too much into this theologically, but if you wanted to make a case as to which gender was superior, I think we have to say it's women. Because God says in the Bible it's not good for man to be alone. And he never says that about the woman. He only says that about the man. And having just spent 24 hours with my wife in Traverse City, home with five kids, I have to say that's absolutely correct and true. It is not good for man to be alone. But when my wife is alone, when I'm out hunting, she does just fine and life carries on as it ought, right? Anyway, that was a bit lighthearted. The reason that a wife is to submit to her husband is because God has given the husband authority in the relationship. Now, what, is this, what does this look like practically? What does this look like in a wife's daily life? Well, an example that come, come, comes to my mind is is, is what happened in my own marriage relationship when, uh, when you, you called me to be your pastor, right? You issued a call for me to be your pastor. It's a big deal. There's big life-altering ramifications. And so no sooner do you issue the call for me to be your pastor and Aaron and I begin talking and we begin deliberating and we begin considering and discussing the pros and the cons and, and you know, consider the effect a move would have on our kids and consider the state of ministry at our present church and consider the opportunities afforded to us in a new place. And you, you know how it goes. You, 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 you just hash it all out when you have a big decision to make. And there's many nights we spent during those few weeks hashing everything out. And this goes on for some time. And then eventually, uh, Aaron realizes she said everything she has to say. And she looks at me and she says, all right, you know what I think. Now you have a decision to make. And, and I knew she was right. She, she was right. I had a decision to make. I am the one who, according to God's word, had the last word in the matter. I am the one who, as the head of our marriage, had the final say. It was my job, my God-given job, to determine God's will for our family in this matter. Now, again, there's more to be said about how a godly husband leads his family and makes those decisions. We'll look at that next time. But this act of deference on Aaron's part was, I think, an act of submission. She was at that point acknowledging my God-given role and responsibility as head of the marriage. You know what I think. You have to make a decision. That's an example of what this looks like in real life. 
So we have the instruction, wives submit to your husbands. We have the grounds for the husband as the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Let's notice third, the model. The model. Let's notice what Paul holds up as the model of a wife's submission to her husband. You see it in verse 24. He's wrapping the, the church and, and the marriage relationship together again. But he says this, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So now, now we're invited to think of a wife's submission to her husband in terms of the church's submission to Christ. The church's submission to Christ is the model for the wife's submission to her husband. So let's just, let's just think about the church's submission to Christ. What can we say about the church's submission to Christ? Well, we can say much about it, but let me just say four things about it. For, for, for the sake of time and benefit this morning. First, we can say the church submits willingly to Christ. The church submits willingly to Christ. The word submit implies this, okay? Submission is, by definition, voluntary. Involuntary submission goes by another name, subjection. The wife is not, the word subjection is not used here. The word submission is used. Subjection is when someone in authority forces someone under their authority to comply. Submission is when someone under authority freely and willingly and voluntarily places themselves under the authority of another. This is what the church does with Christ. The church submits to Christ freely and voluntarily and willingly by faith. So it is to be with a wife and her husband. She's not to be subjected by her husband. She's to submit to her husband. She's to willingly, freely, voluntarily place herself under his authority. Second, the church submits joyfully to Christ, doesn't it? We don't submit to Christ reluctantly. We don't submit to Christ begrudgingly. We don't submit to Christ like we submit to the policeman who is pulling us over for speeding. No, we submit to Christ joyfully. We submit to Christ with gladness in our hearts. We submit to Christ because we love him for having paid for our sins by his death on the cross. We submit to Christ joyfully because we know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is a gladness in the believer's submission to Christ, a gladness which comes out every Sunday morning when we sing together. And the church submits confidently to Christ. We don't submit to Christ wondering whether he'll be faithful and good to us. We don't submit to Christ hoping that maybe he'll forgive our sins. No, we submit to him confident in these things. We're confident that Christ will be good to us. We're confident that Christ will be faithful to us. We're confident that Christ will forgive our sins. We know that Christ will take care of us. And so we submit to Christ confidently. Finally, the church submits totally to Christ. Right? We, we don't submit partially to Christ. We submit totally to Christ. We, we don't give Christ four days a week and keep back three days for ourselves. We don't trust Christ with 90% of our wealth and keep back 10% for ourselves. We don't, we don't decide to keep nine of Christ's commandments and keep, keep one and disregard one. No, our submission to Christ is, is, is total. Christ gets all of us. And so it is with the godly wife. 
The text says she's to submit to her husband in everything. Those words in everything really mean in every area of life. That is, even as there is no part of the church's life that is withheld from Christ, so is there to be no part of the wife's life that is withheld from her husband. Again, doesn't mean you can't disagree with him. Doesn't mean you can't try to influence him for the glory of God. It doesn't mean you should go along with him when his will conflicts with God's will. You shouldn't. If there's a conflict between your husband's will and God's will, you're always to obey God and not man, right? It doesn't mean any of those things. It simply means this, this is what you are to shoot for in your relationship with your husband. This is to be your goal each and every day when you get out of bed and set out to serve Christ, to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. To submit to him willingly and cheerfully and confidently and totally. Now let's just pause a moment and recognize that this is, this is, this is one of those things that's easier, easier said than done, Right? This is one of those things that's easier said than done. This is a, this is a tall order. In fact, this, this is probably in the running for one of the most difficult instructions given to a child of God in Scripture. Because wives, you are sinful. And wives, as you know better than anyone else, your husband is also sinful. And those two realities can make this very, very, very hard and very, very, very complex, especially, especially when your husband doesn't even come close to fulfilling his end of the bargain as it's set forth here in the latter part of our passage. And yet, wives, this is your calling. This is what obedience to Christ looks like in the marriage relationship, and maybe... Maybe you've recognized this morning, by God's grace, that in this matter you've fallen short. You've sinned. Rather than submitting to your husband, you've demanded for years that he submit to you. Well, if so, repent. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to your husband. And remember that in Jesus, there is forgiveness and there is power to walk in obedience. There is new life, all right? There's always mercy in Christ for those who recognize their sin and confess it and turn away from it. Well, finally, let's notice the motive, all right? The motive. The motive is this. It's as unto the Lord. I guess maybe it helps put it in context. It's at the end of verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands, and now the motive, as to the Lord. Now with those words, Paul does not mean you submit to your husband as if he's the Lord. That's not what Paul means. What he means is that you submit to your Lord by submitting to your husband. What he means is that you honor and obey God when you submit to your husband. He, he, he means the reason you submit to your husband, the motive you have in submitting to your husband is that, is that you are submissive to your Lord ultimately and this is what your Lord calls you to do, okay? Early on in my ministry, we had a husband and wife show up at our church. Uh, they had retired uh, to the area. They joined our church. They became active in our church 
became part of the church family. Sometime later, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so I spent a lot of time with them. And I got to know this couple very, very well. Eventually, he, he passed away. And I sort of noticed that in the, in, the, in the weeks leading up to his death and then in the weeks following his death, uh, his wife's response to it all was a bit, it was a bit abnormal. She didn't grieve with the intensity that maybe I expected and that maybe I had seen others grieve with. Well, about three, four months after he died, she, she came into my office and she sat down and she said, Pastor, there, there's something I want you to know. My marriage was really, really, really difficult. For the first 40 years of my marriage, my husband, he was cruel and he was harsh and he was mean. He lied so often. On multiple occasions, he emptied our bank account without me knowing of it at all, wasted the money. I don't, I don't know that he had an affair, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he did. But I, I think you should know that. It, it, was, it was hard. And she went on to say that, that shortly after he was diagnosed with cancer, she, she detected a change in her husband's heart. She believes that by God's grace, he was born again, and, and, and she believed that he was saved, and I, I believe that as well. But, but the fact of the matter is, for, for 40 years, the damage had been done. And for 40 years, this woman had suffered terribly with a cruel and unloving and untrustworthy husband. She told me this story, and I was like, you know, I, I noticed maybe some oddities about your relationship, but, but I never would have guessed that. Not, not in the way you spoke about him, not in the way you cared for him while he was sick, not in the way you stood by the side of his bed until the very end. I never would have guessed that. And she said, well, pastor, I assure you it wasn't easy. But that's, how, that's what God called me to, and that's how I was determined to honor God in my life. Indeed, that, that's what Paul is saying here when he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He's saying, wives, submission is what God has called you to do, and when you submit to your husband, do it as unto him. Do it so that your Father in heaven is pleased with your obedience. I want to tell you more of that story I just told you, and this is the reason she actually came into my office that day. She said, Pastor, now that you know my story, now that my husband is, is, is passed away and he's been gone for several months, I want you to know that I am praying for another husband who will love me. Would you pray that too? because that's what I want more than anything. I want to be loved by a husband. I said to her, absolutely, I will pray that with you. Shortly thereafter, she met a man, a man who had two years before lost his wife to cancer. I had the privilege of getting to know them. I had the privilege of marrying them. And the one thing I was struck by was the way that this man, just, he just adores her. He adores her. He loves 
his wife like Christ loves the church, and she is so happy. That's what she wanted more than anything. It is one of the more beautiful stories that I have seen in ministry. And let that story encourage all the wives among us to honor God in this matter of submission, even when it's difficult, even when our husband is unloving and harsh and frankly a jerk. Do it because you know that God sees what is done for him. And because God honors those who honor him. I am convinced he did that for that woman. She was determined to honor God while her husband was a jerk. And God honored her. God sees what is done for him. Our Savior is strong and kind, all right? Of course, even as I tell that story, I hope some other wives among us here this morning are finding in their hearts reason to praise God. Because, because the fact is God has given you a husband who is not difficult to submit to. He has given you a husband who loves you like Christ loves the church and who makes it easy for you to submit willingly and cheerfully and confidently and completely to him because you know that under his leadership, with him as the captain of your home, you will flourish and you will thrive in ways you never would have otherwise. If you have a husband like that, just, just praise God all day, all week. What a gift. Well, I have been talking to wives this morning. Let me close with a word to husbands. There's going to be more words to husbands coming. Husbands, let me ask, what do you think your wife is thinking right now? Is she, is she praising God for you because you love her like Christ loves the church and you make this instruction to submit easy or is her heart heavy because in this matter, she has a great cross to bear, and that cross is you. Heaven forbid that your wife or my wife is someday sitting in a pastor's office, having just put us six feet under, asking him to pray with her for a husband who will love her. Yes, men, life is short. We get one shot. By God's grace, may we love our lives in such a way that this instruction given to them here in Ephesians 5, through 24 is not difficult for them to obey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, when it works as it ought, it's beautiful. A wife submitting to her husband as the church submits to Christ, and a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We want to see that beauty in our own marriages. Father, we pray that you would cause it to happen, that you would correct us and rebuke us and train us even this morning in these matters by your word. We pray for those women who are we're married to difficult men, and we ask that you would give them grace to endure in service to you. And we rejoice with those 
whose husbands make this command easy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.